Poetry night rings through. Please bring a poem. Round of applause welcoming Dwayne. Thank you very much. The majority of the pieces that I'm going to be reading are called coming out of my newest chapbook, Tokens of Tactile Memories. Um, strangely enough, I think there are five Bellingham-based poems in this one. It wasn't intentional. It just they just kept popping up and you know demanding to be written. Uh, one of the cool things tonight, friend I haven't seen for like multiple decades. From Connecticut, she didn't fly out to see me from Connecticut. Unfortunately, she has a daughter going to Gonzaga, but she's here from Connecticut with another old friend, Lynette, who lives up in Bellingham, and she finally made it to one of my readings, which is cool. So, and thank you for everyone from Everett who made it up, and you know, this is exciting. So, we are going to start off with, I've had a love affair with mud all my life. And I probably write two to three mud-based poems each year, and that's what we're starting off with. Mud. I learned the ritual of mud early, before adult words could place blinders over my eyes. I learned to feel the heartbeat within mud, to feel its strength and alluring fluidity. I learn to read its mind, which contains all history within its molecular structure. History before the existence of words. History before there were images painted on cave walls. History before language could cause bipeds to dream up gods to fill the sky, to crowd out the dark unknown. Mud holds the power of resurrection. Mud possesses nutrients to transform barren fields lush. Mud is the substance that makes adobe bricks possible. Mud is the ingredient that gives form to pots and bowls and jugs, which can store water and seed and grain. Mud possesses weight and speed to destroy lives and property that blocks its way. Mud is stardust given form. Mud is the ooze that birthed all life. Mud is the mind of God that refuses to answer to its 930 known names. Mud does not care if you live or die. Mud remembers the silent footfalls of predators. Mud remembers the weight of panicked feet fleeing. Mud remembers who survived to breed. Mud remembers the dead whose bloodlines ended. Mud remembers the price of great discoveries. 
Mud remembers a species that possesses a genius for genocide. Mud always remembers. Ah, yes. Um, this is called Deep Water Blues. It's written for my friend Lauren Napier. And uh, she posted a photo where she was at on her birthday at the beginning of the year, and this poem just sprung up. She gazes at that point where the world ends. In this land, crows hide in ruins, sing songs for the forgotten dead. Their lyrics soar, then dive in the deep water, where scavengers of the liquid black world learn to sing the blues. From within cold granite shadows, black-feathered voices emerge each day, mosh with whipping winds and impatient waves. Momentary calmness belies inner rage. It is here that she stands on this day of her birth, peaceful within the abundant emptiness. Here she composes melancholy lines that weave into song, here she captures the heartbeat of these black feathered sentinels who she calls kin. I've had a long history of dating Catholic girls. And this poem kind of touches base on that. It's called, You Are a Petaled Flower Hungering for Light. Raised within the cool shade of Catholicism, your eyes seep with longing. Your body recoils with practiced caution. Your stunted roots weave into a series of self-consuming knots as if you were seeking communion from your own flesh. Uncoil your roots Allow them to sink into my soil. We will nurture them together with our shared laughter. I will show you that magic exists, that it is not locked in a box or written in Latin on a papyrus scroll or walled away in a secret garden. Melt into the weight-bearing arms. I will give you a Murakami life without need to spend weeks isolated within a deep well. Allow yourself to dream without worry of nightmare. I will pull you back to safety if you begin to drown. And this is called the eve of March and it actually started with a conversation with Julie groceries in hat in hand the wide brimmed white hatted lady stepped from Trader Joe's into a wall of evening sounds she pauses to listen to the first serenade of spring songs of love hope life beyond the darkness of mud sung as only amphibians fresh from hibernation can sing. Frogs embrace a heavy hanging sky full of moist gray clouds. Their songs rise into the sky, 
begging the clouds to allow raindrops to dance, to rat-a-tat-tat on blacktop and hard-panned earth, to tap-tap-tap-tap-tap on tin roofs, to tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap-tap on large rocks and windshields. Within the beat of rain, amphibians' eyes grow large. Witness soft-shoe masters rise from the dead to join the tap-tap-tapping. Gene, Kelly, Gregory, Hines, Fred Astaire's Jimmy Slide, each in turn tap their way from beyond to taste the rain, to taste the promise within each drop. Each hoofer joined in a unified rhythm, then bows Offering frogs an opportunity to dance, to leap into the sky, bending air until arched back slice through pond water, producing the perfect splash. Each frog a water dancer in their own private liquid pool of grace and weightlessness, performing movements that Ertho Mormon could only dream. The Bridge Over Lower Watkin Falls. Too many eyes and feet have rushed across this bridge, unaware of the magic of Lower Watkin Falls. Even those who pause can be blind to the swirl of grasses that attempt to find footing within mud that oozes then slips between rocks piled upon rock, ever downward propelled by gravity and the endless force of water. The bridge bends and creaks with weariness beneath the weight of footfalls of humans. Some might say the bridge has mellowed, become less rigid, less sure of itself. Yet the sun-bleached bridge continues to harbor carved names and initials, once crisp love now fading beneath the force of erosion. While in its shadow, swirling grasses continue to dance the dance of a thousand arms. Yes, when we were in college and I needed to get away, that is where I disappeared to, right down there in the falls. I love that spot. And now for the shortest poem of the night, Wind Chimes and Pinwheels. Wind chimes and pinwheels translate the language of wind. Wind that clears away the fog that holds me prisoner. Wind that breaks everyone eventually. Beneath the weight of blackberries in memory of my grandfather, W. Doug Larson. Sad songs of a once bountiful land compels my memory to travel through acres deep in dandelions gone to seed. Fluffy white pods waiting for wind to lift them free from stem. I arrive at a farmhouse and barn that no longer stands strong. Each roof caved beneath the weight of blackberry vines. Thick green moss consumes old growth cedar shakes. 
I gaze over this patch of forgotten land that I knew as a child. Find a rusted plow, a broken fence post, a crumbled silo, hidden within a sea of thistles, nettles, and wide-leaf comfrey. My taste buds come alive, hungering for sweet corn, raspberries, tall, succulent peas, for beets, carrots, potatoes, and green beans, each shouting, eat me. Echoes of eat me stain my soul as if cursed, accuse me, judge me guilty of neglecting these once bountiful acres, soil that once knew the salt of my fingers, weeps for me. It yearns for my grandfather's calloused hands that spoke the dialect of soil, that offered me lemon drops, that showed me how to bait a hook and unhill potatoes without damaging young skins. I feel his hand rest on my shoulder. Our eyes drink in the land. Wordlessly, he offered me a future a continuance of blood, a trust to keep the land fluent. Today, my choice haunts me. I don't think I'm reading any political poems tonight, at least out of this book, although there are some in here. But most of them are written in such a way that they would not play out well with the mic. But I think you'll enjoy them when you read them yourself. <sighs> I always like to put in a couple things that are a little sexy. Not enough people write positively about sex and romance anymore. This is simply called pleasure. She enjoyed watching him knead dough rolling it and folding it over and over with devoted hands. She enjoyed how his eyes strayed in her direction, lingering, the way a warm breeze takes its time to explore the contours of a body. She enjoyed the scent of browning bread, crisping and separating, offering itself up for consumption. She enjoyed how he segmented an orange, placing a juicy slice on her outstretched tongue, allowing her to taste the sunrise. She enjoyed watching him slather honey and real butter upon the steaming center of a biscuit until it was dripping, waiting to be slowly devoured. She enjoyed thinking of the ways he might touch her, how he would take his time, how he might cause her own flesh to swell. Um, I'm going to close with the sexiest poem, so <sighs> go get some nice water, Dobby. Okay, okay. And I'm going to take you to Spain on that final poem. It might be. Okay, this is called July 20th, 1969, and again, it references Bellingham. July 20, 1969, 
Too poor to buy an Apollo 11 model made of plastic parts that snap together, complete with peel and paste decals. I constructed mine with care using paper towel rolls, empty cereal boxes, scotch tape, and white paper. I scratched in names and numbers and logos with black, blue, and red felt-tip pens. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were early heroes to neighborhood kids who believed we would each visit the stars. Looking up, I dreamed of the moon. Looking up, I dreamed of Mars. Looking up, I dreamed of the moons of Saturn. Looking up, I dreamed of being a pioneer reaching the stars. Looking up, I dreamed of dating Judy Jetson without fully understanding why. January 28th, 1986. As Challenger fell, our hopes and dreams fell. The stars which once grazed our fingertips turned their heads away, then cried. We in the Viking Union TV room on the campus of Western Washington University stood and sat or sprawled upon the floor, half watching 73 seconds of routine transformed into a fireball falling towards the deep blue Atlantic. Stun silence enveloped us for how long I cannot remember. Then tears fell, and fell, and fell. January 28th, 2016. Today, my heart drops as I remember. Today, we have retreated, settling for unmanned telescopes in high orbit, which amaze our senses with photographs of vivid and beautiful nebulas and solar systems dying and being born. Images that remind those who continue to dream how little we have inched toward the stars, reminding us how far we have yet to travel. The Wall I guess this is a bit political, but not as much as the others. Donald Trump's fear-mongering words are not new. Isolationists have been lobbying to build a wall from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific for decades, fulfilling the American need to build on any piece of empty real estate while mitigating its paranoia against any language that is not English. When I see walls, I want to hang art on them. I want to build shelves and fill them with books. Just imagine 2,000 miles of books and art. Why not build the ultimate hybrid, the largest library and art museum the world has ever imagined, larger than the Library of Alexandria? What better way to say you have reached the land of opportunity than to offer people migrating north a palace of beauty and knowledge? Maybe they would never leave these walls lined with books and art. I know I would be tempted to stay forever. A library with thousands of revolving doors without locks 
and lights that would never dim. People would feel the stacks from dawn to dawn, sunrise to sunrise. People would be encouraged to debate and discuss the large, the small, and the inconsequential. Yet this is just a pipe dream. Americans can find endless dollars to build a dozen bridges to nowhere, while bridges that matter are falling apart. But money for art and books? Nah. Better another tax incentive for big banks. And then the final piece from this book, it's called The Bridge. And yes, it is the same bridge I've talked about twice before. The bridge has been a causeway for squirrels who run, hop, and pause, then sprint to the safety of the other side. It has been a perch for gulls, crows, hawks, who eye the moment to seize prey. Swallows seldom pause upon the span of wood and metal which overlays misting falls. Swallows are always in flight, forever hungry, it seems, feasting upon gnats and mosquitoes and the unfortunate fly. Swallows, driven low by barometric pressure, ready for rain by gorging bellies full. But they are not alone. Long pink tongues launch from wide-mouthed frogs who colonize the eastern bank that always seems to be in the shade. The sun warms my shoulders even as heavy clouds begin to crowd out the center of our solar system. I gaze into the pool of cool water that seems to pause in prayer before plunging over worn rock into gravity's embrace. I hear her walk onto the bridge then stop. The echo of her footsteps informs me she is light of foot, most likely small of frame. I do not glance her way. I am falling inward, soaking up the tranquility of this place. This place, if I were religious, I might call holy. The scent of pomegranate pulls me back into the world. I glance towards the sleek-framed woman, her hair darker than the wings of a crow. She smiles. Her juice-stained hands reach towards me. Would you like some of my pomegranates? We share a beautiful silence. I take a bite of the offered flesh that stains my lips red. Her glistening fingers continue to hold sweet pulp, which for some reason does not seem strange. Together we become wiser to the ways of the world as swallows continue to devour flying insects filled with their own delicious juice. It begins to rain. So we have time for a couple from the other book? Okay, cool. So those are poems from Token of Tactile Memories. And there's at least a dozen poems in there that I didn't even touch on. So explore this. Okay. So these are poems from a forthcoming chapbook that I'm still putting together. And these, I think, are finished. 
This is called Tijuana at Sunset, inspired by a photo of my friend Kareem Lamone gazing out her window. Her hand gently parts bedroom curtains that bathe her in lavender hue. Her eyes fill with hungered longing, taking flight, capturing glimpses of her future, slowly taking form. Tonight's wind speaks to her in a language only the two share. It gives her three words, which her tongue can wield as a key, unlocking the green door marked tomorrow. Mama! The uttered need of one of her children pulls her back into her body. She smooths out her long, thread-thin dress, radies herself for return to a life that is only lived in the present. Hungry wind. Me and wind have a special affinity, almost as much as mud. And if you've been in Everett recently, you know Caspian turns have been overtaking the city for the last five or six years. And they are unlike any bird you'll ever listen to. They did. Seagulls are like, you know, little kittens purring. And these guys are like constantly, you know, the drunk cursing at you. Caspian turns bank left and right away from the sizzle of sun as dark clouds race over western horizons upon the back of a hungry wind. Hungry wind runs before the storm. Small sailed vessels bank hard for sheltering bay. Hungry wind takes a deep pause, inhaling itself into oblivion. Hungry wind hunts over open water, tossing gulls and turns aside with the absent-minded casualness of a parade float princess tossing candy towards overhyped children. Hungry winds moan and wheeze, consuming the imagination of those who find comfort within suicidal thoughts, the way cutters relax with the release of blood and the flow of pain. Hungry wind crouches low upon rising whitecaps, welcoming the hunt, preparing to pounce, welcoming the shelter of rain. Caspian turns, scream in unison with the ferociousness of madmen trapped within an 18th century asylum. And just for Dobby, we are going to close with sexy. Okay, what, what do you need now? You, you want a story? A story. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do the little story. Okay. For those of, who've known me forever, realize I've been the worst speller in all of our classes, which made you guys look good, right? So I can, with my problem with spelling also comes problem with pronunciation. And in September... I will be teaching a class at the Redmond's Cultural Center um, 
it's, I can't even pronounce the word, but it has to do with teaching people to be able to look at paintings and then creating a poem from them. And this dates back all the way back to Homer, where Homer was describing the shield of uh, Achilles. So this is a long form. Um, this poem and a couple other poems I read tonight are based on how... Oh, hey, Dobby can pronounce the word. Hey, Dobby, what's the word? Ekphrastic. Ekphrastic. <sighs> okay. <sighs> now, I'm not even going to think about how to spell that one. So that is the name of this um, special form of writing. Um, and it's probably the oldest prompt known to mankind. Is that story long enough yet? Okay, there's the long story. So this poem is based on two paintings by my friend Matilda Alonzo Salador. It's called Valiciana Nights. Unseen fingers pick long string Spanish guitars. Seductive sounds fill and expand Matilda's canvas, enticing me to step into her world of alluring brushstrokes. Instinctually, my body moves in fluid motions, reaching out. I take the hand of a black-eyed woman, her yellow dress loose and wild, barely covering hips that are in constant motion. Her long, twisting hair is the swirling Mediterranean wind. Our bodies shimmer close. Friction loosens buttons on my white linen shirt. In between seductive spins, our eyes lock into a secret conversation. My partner's heels slap the floor a dozen times with authority, increasing my rapidly beating hearts. I swing her right and left three spins each before I pull her tight. Her fiery hair dusts the tiles when I dip her low in a slow 90-degree arc. Her back arches. I kiss lightly above her breastbone. Only I hear how she inhales. Only I feel her nails pierce my flesh. But everyone gasps when they see red blotches flowering my shoulders. Only I know what she is attempting to hold back. In private, I watch her strapless dress slip away as if I am watching the last golden rays of August sink beneath the foamy waves of a restless ocean. She flattens me on cool crimson sheets whose silk sheen captures weary starlight seeking journey's end. My body becomes her own private dance floor. Our moans become the fingers that strum the strings of Spanish guitars. Thank you. Thank you for everyone who showed up tonight and listened. Um, are we on break now, or are you going to bring someone else? I guess we're on break, and there's all sorts of niblets back there, 10 minutes, and then more poetry. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, thanks, Dwayne. A big hand, everybody, for Dwayne.
Desert. 